I don't think society necessarily chronicles a person's struggle as something normal and to be expected to experience as a human. I think we see gold medalists and we see billionaires and we see successful companies starting and we see all everyone at the top of their industry, I guess. And I'm not one of those people and I'm showing a struggle, like I'm struggling right now. But I guess what I want people to see in my struggle is just that you can get through it. And in my previous cancer experiences, it wasn't easy, but I tried my best and I was able to do so many things that I would not have done had I just given up on my life when it was hard. So I guess my message is that it, it's okay to struggle, but it's not okay to give up on yourself or your dreams. And my story is about cancer, but anybody just has tough stuff in their life. That's about all I have to say. Don't give up. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's Jonathan Galt here. I'm going to be joined by my bosses, Robin and Weldon Johnson, for another edition of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. It's a sad day in the world of running. Gabe Grunewald, the inspirational runner who has battled cancer for over a decade, died last night, Tuesday night, at the age of 32. And I don't know, it's just, it's just immeasurably sad. Gabe was a, a bright light in our running world. I think anyone who met her, she, she would smile. She was just a nice person. She the way she fought cancer the last few years and especially just sharing her struggle with the world. I think I didn't know her that well. I interviewed her a few times, but I think everyone kind of got to know her because she opened her world to us and her husband, Justin as well. And it, I don't know. There's nothing. It's just, it's just very, very sad. And uh, I, I think we were all inspired by Gabe and her fight and continuing to run even as she battled this disease. But th today there's no other way to say it. It's, it's a sad day. Very sad, Jonathan. And I think she taught us so much. I mean, she, she taught us, as she said in that video, it's okay to struggle. We're all going to struggle. Hers just was more public and you know, earlier in her life than it will be for most of us, unfortunately. But what you were saying to me off air is so true about Gabe. I think, I mean, like the three of us, we didn't spend that much time with her, but we all felt like we knew her really well. Like I, there was just something about talking to her, her energy level and her laughter. And, you know, she was just a really special people. And that she obviously somehow was able to make those connections with people over you know, across the globe. And the, the Brave Like Gabe Foundation now is, is living on after her death. Chip Gaines is obviously a big supporter. So. It's just a sad day, and I think the, the way I summed it up was the running world got a little less bright last night. The world lost a bright light for sure, but I think it's not fair that Gabe's not here. I, 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 as you can tell, I'm at a loss of words, but Gabe, I think, taught us all how to live life. Even just in these last couple of weeks, she was dying was probably like 10 days ago, and they thought that was it. And she just said, not today. And the next day up, her husband, Justin, is so excited to be eating Shake Shack with her. 
And so I just encourage everyone, cherish your time with your loved ones. The greatest day ever for Justin was being able to have Shake Shack again with Gabe Grimwald. This morning, I went out on a run, Central Park, and I was kind of sad at first. And then I was like, wait, this is where Gabe met Chip Gaines. And I didn't know that whole story, which is really cool. We can talk about that. I love running at Central Park more than anything, but a lot of times I don't embrace it. And then today I, I embraced it. And then I was I was going around the park with my two dogs and my wife. And oh, it's weird because I don't run with my wife that much. And it was kind of fitting because I think Gabe and Justin also showed us a lot about love. And then I saw Mary Wittenberg going the other way. And I love Mary. She's got some of that enthusiasm that Gabe had for life. And I smiled at Mary and she waved at me. And then for a moment, I felt bad. I'm like, wait, I'm, I'm sad today. And then I was like, no, Gabe wouldn't want us to be sad. She'd want us to embrace all of these moments in life that we can cherish, cherish the run, cherish your family. So Gabe, thank you for teaching us all how to live. And last night I was sad, but not didn't feel like crying or anything. But that video from Brooks that we started off with almost brought tears to my eyes again. So thank you. Yeah, I think the Chip Gaines story well then that you mentioned that's i think a good example of the impact gabe had and it was a result of her opening up and filming that video with brooks and sitting down with reporters tim laden wrote a great profile of her in the summer of 2017 documenting her struggle and she posted about it on instagram and and twitter and that sort of thing and i'm not saying that if you're battling cancer you have to do that you know you fight in your own way but she did that and her story began to spread. She began to spread awareness of adenoid cystic carcinoma, which is the rare form of cancer that she had. And Chip Gaines, who's, you know, reality television, he's a television personality on HG, HGTV. He renovates houses and he just happened to be running by her in Central Park and he recognized her and she was a big fan of his show and he wanted to do a marathon and she said she would train him for the marathon. And he decided to establish a new marathon down in Texas, the Silo District Marathon. And all the money that they raised went to the Brave Lake Gabe Foundation, which is dedicated to raising money for rare cancer research and for research for adenoid cystic carcinoma, which is the cancer Gabe had that really doesn't have a cure and there isn't many treatment options available. And if she hadn't been so vocal about that cancer and about her life and what she'd gone through and spreading her message that inspired everyone, including Chip, uh, who's obviously a great person who's, who's raised a lot of money on Gabe's behalf and was doing so yesterday as well. If she hadn't spread that story, that meeting, you know, he might've just run by her and not even recognized her and that, you know, we wouldn't have all this hundreds of thousands of dollars raised. So that that's just one example of the impact that she had. And, uh, in making the world a better place, even as she was struggling with her disease. That's an amazing story. I didn't know the details of that. I assumed that she recognized him and not vice versa. I mean, actually, I thought that was the case, that she recognized him and then introduced herself and then he found out about her story. So I'm not even sure, John, if the details of that are correct, but... I'm sorry, that may have been the case. It's weird because usually, you know, we'd be quibbling over facts and getting everything right, but it... I didn't realize, I don't know, I just thought it was like Chip's a celebrity, he launched onto this cause, but I didn't know the personal connection. They just sort of just met in this park, going for a run. 
he picked up her enthusiasm and he kind of said he didn't run at all at the time. And she sort of said, no, like you can do a marathon. And then they, they developed this real friendship. Even just last night, Chip said he would, you know, match donations one for one till midnight. And I think they raised like hundreds of thousands of dollars. It just sounds like such a cool story. And also running in the park. I mean, there's not a better place to run in New York and just a real friendship developed that inspired and Chip has such a reach with his show, right? So then it inspires millions of more people. It's cool from like a societal perspective, but also more just that personal perspective. And somehow, you know, despite all this publicity that Gabe and Chip have, like I didn't even realize that this thing sort of the nature of it somehow until like the last few days, I just sort of kind of knew they were involved and I never had really thought much about it, which shame on me, I guess. But another cool, I mean, nothing is cool about this, but another sort of poignant aspect of this. Yeah. And I mean, the other real memory I have of Gabe was 2017 USA's. She really fought that season. She wanted to run USA's even though she started undergoing chemotherapy uh, late in her training, you know, I think in early June and USA's are in late June. But, you know, she I saw her run at the Adidas Boston Boost Games in Somerville and she didn't run very well. And rather than sort of accept that the chemotherapy, you know, she had to begin the treatment and she was just going to be getting worse. She hopped on a plane to Nashville and tried to take another last ditch attempt to qualify. And she didn't, she didn't improve her time, but she ended up getting led into the field because they, you know, went down the list and she'd run fast enough earlier in the season. And then her heat in Sacramento after the race, just everyone formed a circle and said a prayer for Gabe. And I think that was just one of the, one of the most beautiful moments I've seen a track meet because it, it you know you're competing against you're competing against each other in a race but as soon as that race was over everyone we all felt like we were in it together and Gabe was the one who had to go through the challenge and the fight against cancer but we all felt a part of that battle and we were all rooting for her and it just showed that the running community I, I think is is strong and you know one of the beautiful things that can happen um, when someone's down people will band together and try to help pick her up. And uh, that was just a really, a really touching moment for me. Running plays a special part in all of our lives. We're all runners and Gabe represents the very best of what the running world was about. And it's sort of interesting also that Gabe said that cancer made her appreciate and really realize how much she loved running. Cause before she said she wasn't one of those people who had this like sort of transcendental connection to running. But towards the end, she said, I love running now more than I ever did. It makes me feel like myself. And I think Gabe and her struggle just reminded us just how special life is. And I think when we run, we're sort of all reminded about that. It's one of like the purest things we can do. And Gabe lived her life with that purity and, and that joy and that authenticity that we all should embrace. And her husband, Justin, and this Tim Waden piece, we can link to it in the show notes. It's amazing. But I think he said it best. We're people with strong faith. So we, we believe there is a place beyond this world. And if Gabriel doesn't get in, none of us are getting in. I don't think you can say it much better than that. And I guess there's no real easy way to transition to the next part of the show, but we do have a lot to talk about. So we'll just do it sort of abruptly. 
Um, it was an incredible week for running fans last week. I mean, we had the Rome Diamond League, but then, of course, the amazing 2019 NCAA Championships in Austin, Texas, where Jonathan and I were. Well, Jonathan was there at least part of the time before scanning, sconding from his Let's Run.com duties to go to a wedding on Saturday. I had to hold down the fort, folks. If you noticed an upgrade in the coverage, you're welcome. But, um, John, it was kind of fun to be in Austin, right? Be out of Eugene for once. I had a number of coaches say, hey, you know, yeah, it's hot for the distance runners, but it's fun to be in a different city. Yeah. No, I, I loved Austin. I think the food, I mean, much as I love going to Tracktown Pizza for the atmosphere and getting a few, you know, Northwestern micro brews, te- Austin's a great food city. I think every meal I walked away from, I was like, man, that was incredible. Robert showed me this place. I went with his parents, met Mr. and Mrs. Johnson for the first time and we went to a place that had $1 cans of beer and we were just we didn't have too many before that night of competition but we had it was like just too good an offer you would never ever find that in Massachusetts I don't think in Oregon either so called Cisco's Mexican it's most famous for its brunch but they're not open for dinner we were there for our 5 p.m. dinner it's one $1 beers all the time Chris Lear's favorite Austin restaurant Cisco's folks yeah but and the first two days, look, the weather was pretty miserable. It was hot and humid. But the last two days, or at least Saturday, sorry, Friday, my final day there, it was actually pretty good weather. Um, a little warm for the distances, but we still got a great 5,000 out of it. And the sprint times were phenomenal. I mean, Eugene, if you get a nice day in Eugene, you can run fast. That is a straight fast straightaway. But like the final day of NCAAs last year, Michael Norman ran 43, like 61 set the collegiate record, but you got to think that was on like a wet track and it was damp and chilly. You got to think you could have gone a lot faster in that race. And in Austin, the sprints were just out of this world. I mean, we had 986 and 1973 were the winning times, the 100 and 200 on the men's side, 1298 in the hurdles. I mean, a kid ran Daniel Roberts of Kentucky ran 13 flat and got beat in the hurdles final. I mean, that is just ridiculous. And then on the women's side, Shikari Richardson. Oh my God. The 1075, just this freshman from LSU bursts onto the scene. And now she's run, it's the fastest time in two years. You would have to think, you know, she's probably going to turn pro and might be one of the favorites for worlds. It's a long way off, but 1074, they just, no one's been running that fast the last couple of years. So a tremendous meet as always, that meet always delivers. And I hope I'm glad that we're going back to Austin next year. I don't think it needs to be there every year, but it definitely should be in the rotation for hosting NCAA outdoors. And also women's hurdles, Janique Brown, world leader there. I mean, 1240 doesn't have the same prestige as 1298, but yeah, the sprint action was incredible. Um, The problem is obviously really the heat really only impacts two races in a big, big way. The 5,000 and the 10,000. I think that, the final day of competition, they moved it up a couple hours. I think it was two, two and a half hours just so it could be an ESPN. They need to run that 5,000 in the shade. Like it needs to be in the shade. So I, I don't know what the solution would be to make sure that that happens. Um, I mean, maybe you could run the 5,000 the same if you're going to do just run both 5,000s in the same day if you have to move the TV up or something, you know? Yeah, move it, move it to Friday night. I think that makes a, the 10K, 5K d- double tougher for the women, but. I, I agree. I don't think you should be running it. In- yeah, that would be a good solution. Like if, if they're going to have the same schedule this year, you just put the women's 5,000 final the day after the 10,000, so you still have time to recover the doubles possible. I think the runners would prefer that, although I guess people, coaches might complain, then it makes the, the 5,000 steeplechase double a lot easier. 
<laughs> so there's always so that's a- good. We should be promoting doubles. You know, make it easier to double. I, I think that's the best solution. Move it to five k. The five k to Friday night after the men's five k. But the the you know we'll get into the specifics of the races and what we found is the biggest breakthrough, the biggest disappointment. But there was one tragedy at the NCAA championships, and it was the results of the running warehouse let's run prediction contest. And instead of letting John and Galt gloat about this, I'm just going to get it out there right now. Jonathan has beaten Weldon to me yet again in the running warehouse prediction contest. John cracks the top 20 in the overall contest 20th place. Weldon and I were both ahead of Jonathan. He was sitting in third place. We were going to start gloating a little bit after the men's competition, but John proves himself to be an expert in the women's meet. And vaults to the WatchRun.com title. Or did, did, did employee 1.1 compete? I guess it's fitting. You know, usually I sort of complain about getting beat in these things repeatedly by John. But it's a new world, Robert. And we're, we're from an older generation. We were clearly just focused on the men's competition, having that lead going into the final day. And, you know, sexist people do not deserve to, to thrive in today. So, John, this is a step up. This is a step just society was, you know, karma was getting back to us. So we'll have to reform our ways. Yeah, Congratulations, I mean, John. Congratulations. I, I don't really know if I need to take a victory lap. I told everyone last week I was going to beat their asses in the prediction contest. That's exactly what I did. You know, move on, beat you guys in the next one as well. So actually, real quick, because I, I had some family stuff Saturday. I didn't see them into the women's meet. Um I just saw some highlights, but the 5k for women was at 725 and you're saying temperature wise, it just feels a lot different. The men's 5k was two days, the day previously at 925. Huge difference. The whole track's not in the shade. Hardly any of it's in the shade. You're in the sun. Cause I'm thinking about 725 at night. It's not that bad, but I'm heading down to Austin this weekend for my parents' wedding anniversary. And I forgot how hot it is. Yeah. So, I mean, there are a lot of great races in this meet. I think the men's steeplechase, I mean, the times weren't crazy, but the last lap certainly was. The leader, full, like Daniel Mikulski of Indiana, made this big move, and he was leading. He was right with Stephen Fahey of Stanford on the final water barrier. And then he eats it, and you think, oh, my God, Fahey, he's just going to cruise. And then Fahey wipes out on the final barrier in the home straight, but he gets up and wins. I mean, that was one of the most wild steeples I've ever seen. And yeah. It, the, the all the men's distance races were really they all had a great storyline well let's talk about the steeple but i mean the 1500 had a narrow finish 800 bryce hobbles undefeated and the 10,000 was wide open but in that steeple i mean i felt like when i talked to Faye, I, I felt like watching the race that Fahey looked good i mean michelski didn't even win the big 10 so i'm like okay fahey has got this going into it. i thought he was going to probably win that race but then when he went down I'm like he's definitely got it then he goes down it was amazing so you know pretty exciting stuff and then it's a, there's an interesting sort of story there i mean his brother darren i think was his name was the second at ncas what two years ago for georgetown so darren still has a family pr i think he's run 831 versus like 834 but darren quit running and didn't run professionally so steven wants to keep running professionally but then steven announced also that he's going to get a six year and I, I coached in the ivy league i didn't think you could just get in college i, I didn't think you could just get a six year i thought you had to have two different well then let me ask you what do you think you need to do to get a six year to get a six-year? I thought you needed like two debilitating injuries. That's what I thought. So he told me that he was going to come back in the fall for a six-year. They're hopefully going to win the NCAA cross-country title. And this has a big impact if he's there, obviously, or not. And um, 
I said, well, you know, are you eligible for that? He said, well, I, I got into a master's program. So that's the academics is all set. And, and the compliance, you act like it's pretty much a formality. She says, I meet all the boxes. And I said, well, what are the boxes? He said, well, I redshirted my freshman year. And then I think this last fall he was injured. So he just took a redshirt off one year. I, I thought you had to have two different injuries. Like I didn't think you could just take off a year and then get injured one year and get a six year. So I don't know if the NCAA has changed the rules since I was coaching or if he's mistaken, I mean, I don't know why he'd be mistaken. He just got into grad school. He went to a lot of trouble to get into this program. He even on the ESPN broadcast, you guys probably didn't see that interview because you guys were at the meet. Like he sort of makes an announcement to his teammates like, hey, six year, man, we're coming back for cross. So he seemed confident about it. So that will, let's, the appropriate uh, take from that moving to, he will be an overaged runner. Let's move to the men's 10,000 meters. <laughs> Where we had a BYU, which embarrassed itself. BYU has been great in cross country. I think they've been what second and third the last couple of years um, in cross country. But last year they in the ten thousand they had gone taken three of the last four places and really did poorly. This year Clayton Young goes from next to last to first. There's a little bit of controversy there because how old is he, John? Is he twenty five? He is twenty five years old. And folks. See, th- those of you that think I hate on Castor Semenya or CeCe Telfer, I'm all about stopping unfair advantages in this sport. So it's a huge advantage. Let's, let's don't deny this, folks. It's a huge advantage to be 25 and competing against a bunch of 22, 21, 23-year-olds. There's no doubt about that. It's the same reason why I thought Oscar Pistorius and, and these Blade Runners shouldn't be competing. Um, but that being said, it was a great story. I mean, BYU went one, three, four. After being so bad the year before, it was vindication for Ed Eystone, the coach, two-time NCAA champion himself in the event. Um, I, I had a clip of Isaac Wood, the operations guy for, for BYU, just going nuts when Clayton won that race. Sports Illustrated has re-tweeted uh, that 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 tweet. I think it's like, I don't know how many, John, see how many thousands of views we have now. So, um, and, and they did a funny take on it. Someone says, says like, I think Sports Illustrated said something like, I wish I liked anything in life as much as this guy likes running. So, but, um, John, what'd you think of that 10,000? It was great. I mean, Ed Eystone was talking after the race and he was, he, he was serious. He said, I think the 10K is the most exciting event in running. Uh, granted, you've got about a 29 minute warm up, but, the last lap is it all comes down to that and that's about as good as it gets you know and uh your video of isaac woods up to three hundred forty-five thousand views by the way uh robert but yeah i mean it's great to see two guys battling and that last lap in particular was awesome because young and gilbert keegan of alabama they had broken away on the back straight and both of them were going close to all out on the back straight because young had in his mind he's like look if I get to the lead with 200 to go, I'm going to close this thing out and win it. I can't let him pass me. And Keegan had the same idea. Keegan wanted to get to the lead by 200 to go. And Young fought him off with everything he had and then ended up pulling away in the home straight and got the win. It was very cool. And you know, his wife was there afterwards. His dad was at the meet. He has a young uh, child who was there as well. So that was that was a cool race to see. And for a guy who... You know, Clayton essentially admitted, like, you know, I've I've been pretty bad at some of these NCAA championships in the past. He ran pretty well indoors, but this year, but in cross country, he just hasn't lived up to his potential. I mean, this guy was an NCAA champion. And he finished about in the seventies. 
and so like cross and he essentially said look i'm the reason why we lost to nau this past fall i should have been much farther up you know i cost us if he had i think they lost by 33 and he thought he could have made that deficit up so to see him go out and end his career that way by winning i mean obviously there are a lot of guys who have good stories behind them but it, it was nice to see uh a guy gets some redemption in that race. The interesting thing for me from a coaching standpoint was, you know, I asked Ed, I said, what'd you do differently in training this year? He's like, well, not much. But one thing he did say is, well, we did keep our mileage up. So it reminded me of Josh Rotinsky when, when he beat Galen Rupp and, and won the NCAA title in the cross country. Um, Josh had not done well the year before. And I saw him the day before the race when he won NCAA cross, he was out running like 10, 12 miles. He's like, I just didn't drop my mileage that much. I feel better when I'm running at least 70 miles a week. So Rohatinsky or McDougal, Robert, excuse me, McDougal. Thank you, John. Thank you. It is confusing. Josh Rohatinsky won the 2006 NCAA cross title. Josh McDougal won the 2007 NCAA title. It's an honest mistake. And one's Mormon, right? Well, jo- Josh Rohatinsky ran for BYU. Josh McDougal was not Mormon, but also religious because he ran for Liberty. Thank you for clarifying there, John. They both beat Galen Rupp, correct? I believe Rupp ran in 2006, but the sto- I, I just wanted to make sure the story was right. Well, Rupp was running in 2006 and 2007, no? I'll look it up. Yeah, he finished sixth in 2006. It's pretty amazing that Josh Rohatinsky won an NCAA 10K and cross-country title. He didn't win the 10K. We won a cross, right? Yeah, but he won 10K cross. He didn't win on the track, though. According to Wikipedia, 2007 NCAA track and field 10,000 meters. That's fake news. Well done. According to USAT- USTFCCCCA, so I think it said one too many C's. Shadrach Songok of Texas A&M Corpus Christi won that race. Weird. Because I remembered the cross. And I was just looking at the Wikipedia and, and it has it in there. And then it links to an article which doesn't have him winning it. Yeah, you got eighth in that race per Tillis But I think there, and I think, you know, you guys act like it's an unfair advantage. The rules are the rules, right? So we, we need to change the rules if you guys think it to your mission is unfair. But when Rohotinsky won the cross country, he was 20, 24 years old, which is, you know, maybe a year older than most guys, but he had four years on Rupp. Rupp's four years younger, roughly. I mean, they weren't the same year in college, obviously. I didn't mean to probably do anything wrong. I just think it's definitely an advantage. I mean, and I want people to be able to honor the religion. I, I just think the rules should be five years. You get five years period from when you graduate high school. If you want to take two years in abortion, most on a mission, then you get three. Or maybe you can't have, maybe to say also, okay, or at a minimum, just say you can't have an extra year of, you can't redshirt. So you would have, because this is his seventh year out of high school, right, John? He he had two years in the mission and then he also redshirted a year. So at a minimum, there should be no redshirting if you take two years off. And then then you could, then, you, then it'd be down to six years. So then you, you'd have the same as the Stanford situation. Um, but let's give a shout out to Morgan McDonald, folks. We wouldn't be talking about this if McDonald wasn't so good and not at, Wisconsin wasn't in it for the team title that he just decided to let these guys win the, the 10,000. He would have smoked them so bad. So that's one thing that's interesting about this whole thing is Morgan McDonald is my really my 2019 NCAA 10,000-meter champion because he was unbeatable all year and unbeatable in the 5,000. We got what we wanted. We had McDonald versus Fisher. We were wondering if Jordy Beamish was going to be in there. The pace wasn't even that fast. Beamish was nowhere to be seen. It came down to McDonald and Fisher, and 
McDonald waited and waited and waited and then blasted it, and that was it. Yeah, it was phenomenal. I mean, fifty two ninety one on his close in the last lap, and you compare that. I mean, granted, the race had been fairly slow to that point, but closing that fast in a five thousand meters, there are very few runners on earth who can do that. And I, you know, you got to feel a little bad for Grant Fisher. He closed in like fifty three six, and still there wasn't anything he could do. He played it pretty much perfectly. He got to the lead at the bell. He had the shortest distance to run. He closed in fifty three six. Normally, that's good enough to win an NCAA title. Not against Morgan McDonald. He's something else, guys. And it's been great to see them battle every every time. Because even though you know Morgan won their first two, you still thought, well, it was close enough. Maybe if Grant improves his kick a little bit. I mean, I still picked McDonald in the prediction contest. But yeah, it was a great battle, those two. And I think they have a really classy rivalry. They have a lot of respect for each other. So it was really great to see them fight but yeah there's a great tank great 5k and also got to give a shout out to thomas ratcliffe of stanford finishing third in that race he missed pretty much all of 2017 and 2018 with injuries he had to get two different surgeries on his knee he came back he finally had a little bit of training over the summer last summer going into the cross season and then he gets a stress fracture last fall which puts him back again so he only really started – the only serious training block he's had, he had a little bit in the summer of 2018, and then he started running again about January or February, I think. He's been training for about six months, and now he gets third in NCAAs behind two absolute studs. I mean, that guy – Chris Miltenberg told me, you know, he's as talented as Grant Fisher, and I think we showed it – he showed it in that race. Yeah, there was an interview you did with Miltenberg. When was that? In the fall when he sort of, if you read between the lines, it's like, wait a minute, is he saying he's just as talented as Grant Fisher? And the answer was, yes, he was. And we finally saw it. There was actually a thread like a few months ago, like whatever happened to Ratcliffe. And I'm like, he's not done. I mean, he is a, a big talent. His dad is an agent, Tom Ratcliffe, friend of Let's Run.com, another Ivy Leaguer like ourselves, John. But, um, you know, the, the thing that's interesting there is th- there was a thread about him after the race and people, some people were shocked by it. And I'm like, look, this isn't that shocking to me. We got to remember w- what's more unbelievable, this finishing third after basically barely having an NCAA career or running a 401 mile in high school when you're only a part-time runner. I mean, in high school, he played soccer in the fall, showed up for track and ran 401 in the mile. That's remarkable. And at the time when he went to college, he's the same class as Drew Hunter. I had a long conversation with an Olympian about Drew Hunter goes pro. And I'm like, I like Drew. He's talented, but I don't know if I'd be paying all that money. He might not even be the most talented guy in his high school class. And we debated who was more talented, him or Drew Hunter. And obviously there's no way to answer that because you don't know when someone hasn't trained, like what their ultimate potential is. And he's had that problem. Sometimes when they're under trained, they can't train, they get hurt, injured. But both of his parents were runners. His sister was an Ivy League champion at Brown. So he's got the running and, and, and the family you think they'd be able to train at a high level, and he's finally sort of gotten healthy. It kind of reminds me of the debate a few years ago when Grant Fisher himself was in high school. I got a call from a guy that I respect who knows a lot about high school running, particularly in Michigan. He said, look, Grant Fisher's not even the most talented guy in Michigan. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, there's a guy named Donovan Brazier. Well, I guess we can still have that debate who's more talented, but on the professional level, who's better right now, Donovan Brazier or Grant Fisher? There's no doubt it's Jonathan Brazier. Yeah. Fun fact about Thomas Ratcliffe's mother as well. I hold the school record in two mile at my school. She holds the two mile school record at my high school. So we have a connection there. 
Mom's a Princeton alum. She was devastated when Thomas didn't go there. Now, John, what do you think about Thomas's haircut? I, w- I was commenting on the message board. I, I was kind of I'm like, young people, is this cool? Is this like a Stanford mohawk or Stanford, uh, what's the other word? Uh, the uh, mullet. I mean, I don't know what that is. Then I realized, it reminded me, though, I, I'm, like, I'm getting old because Chris Lear used to wear his hair kind of like that. For some reason, when you're young, you want to look like an idiot. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't have a photo of them with a haircut that you'd like? How was I? Why did I ever get that haircut? I'm sure I'll be thinking about that myself when I look at photos from this current era 10 years from now. So I don't know. I thought it was a little funny, but uh, if he likes it that way and other people like it, fine. How good of a runner was his mom? And how fast was Tom, the dad? I mean, Tom was a sub-14 guy. I think he ran two in the two teens for the marathon or something like that. I mean, I guess he's got good genes, but also I think the other thing that helps him is just like, he's been around the world's greatest runners. Like he just sort of runs into them with his dad. And I think that's going to help him at least mentally. 214 marathoner for uh, Tom, Tom Ratcliffe. It's possible to be the best in the world. I really think that mental side of thing helps. I mean, I can't believe that I was shocked. I saw the results. I barely knew he was running this year. And I was like, what? Cause I used to sort of focus in on him and I don't know. I just, this year I wasn't really paying much attention. And I just remember him being some little kid and at the bar at the Copley hotel, actually kids aren't at the bar, but you know, like we're in there having drinks. This might've been the year of the bombing because that was very surreal. They wouldn't let anyone leave the hotel. So then everybody sort of, what are you going to do? You go in the restaurant and there's a bar there as well. And I think that might've been the year I met, Thomas and this little kid's there. He's probably, I mean, that would be you're what, getting confused with his other brother. Well, then, well, true. Extra eight, because he'd be too little then. He would have been 15 uh, the year of the bombing, yeah. probably. I think he was the least into running of anyone in the family, <laughs> and now he's the fastest. The, the young, his younger brother is like three or four or five years younger, is really into it. Well, I think there's an opportunity for other agents out there, right? Because parents want to rebel against kids, want to rebel against their parents. So maybe we should start our own agency and we'll steal him away from his dad. What if his dad's not charging commission on him? We'd have to be 20% better. <laughs> so his mom, Kim, I forgot her last name when she was a princess, but she was quite good. I'm trying to read the Thomas M.F. Ratcliffe thread to see if anyone responded to my hair questions. Well, I'm reading one of the comments. Rosa has a good face for radio and a good voice for print. <laughs> so obviously not a fan of Michael. The other sort of big story I feel like at NCAs was Mondo Duplantis getting upset in the pole vault. The NCAA indoor and outdoor record holder. You know he's the number two vaulter ever outdoors at 6.05? He gets upset by Chris Nielsen, who was the number two vaulter in the world coming in. But it was sort of an interesting upset. And immediately after that, Mondo went pro and signed with Puma. So it's not like he's hurting too too much. but. What was the, you know, what did my, I didn't talk to Mondo and did you guys talk to him? What was the sort of feeling afterwards? Do we want to reveal what we did, Robert, instead of talking to Mondo Duplantis? Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll admit it. Uh, Robert's flight got in late and because. Uh, no, my flight didn't get in late. My flight got in on time. Oh, sorry. The meat had been rushed forward and we had the 10K coming up and it was brutally hot and Robert was like, do you want to just get some food? And I was like, I do, but the pole vault's going on. And we decided to go to this place 
near the stadium. It was really good. Um, what, what was it called, Robert? We went to the oldest restaurant and bar in the state of Texas, Schultz's Beer Garden. German food. Yeah, and it was good. We got some nice beers. You know, we I got to meet Robert's father or Weldon's father as well, I guess. But we missed the competition. And essentially, I mean, he, here's what happened. So Mondo makes it over first attempt at 5.80 meters, which, and these are like very high bars for collegians. You know, that's, that's an incredible hike. Nilsson clears that on his second attempt. And then Nilsson... They both passed to 590, which Nilsson has never jumped that high. That would have been a PR for him. And he sails over on the first attempt. So that pushes, puts the pressure on Mondo. Mondo misses his first attempt. And then Mondo passes to 595 because he wants to win the competition. Nilsson makes that on his first attempt as well. So now Nilsson has got two straight PRs on first attempts at 590 and 595. Mondo instead of skipping to 601 for his final or instead of pushing the bar up for his final attempt to try to move ahead, he just tries to draw even tries to go 595 again and he misses. And so he's got, he missed twice at 595 and once at 590. And those are like, you know, Mondo has jumped 605, but I mean, 590, 595, that'll win a lot of diamond leagues. I mean, that's very, so that's very, very good. Chris Nelson, it's, it was the second highest jump in the world this year behind Mondo's six meters at SECs. So, it, you know, Chris Nelson is obviously a medal threat at the World Championships this year. He's one of the very best vaulters in the world, but he also stepped up his game at NCAAs and came through in the clutch. And it just shows you how important first first bar clearances are in that event. So that was a great competition. I'm, I'm kind of sad we, we missed it, but... Uh, you know, we also we had to get some fueling in for the 10k. That's the way I'll justify it. Yeah, there was a gap, so there was a huge like three hour gap. They had all the running events, and then there was a gap to the 10,000. So I skipped out on it. So one of the message boards was, was Matt. He's like, Roger doesn't believe in covering regionals. Now he's not even covering finals. And maybe we should have, since we're the only ones providing free interviews anymore. Everyone else is like, you have to pay for your post race interviews. But yeah, the I mean. I sort of, John, I'd like you to give me a little credit. When you're writing the preview, I said, hey, we've got the number one and number two vultures in the world here. We can't just hand this to Mondo. So when people said it was one of shocking upset, I, I think that's a little misleading. I mean, I, I, 590, no one in the world had cleared that except for Mondo coming into the, into the last week. Now, um, Sam Kendricks, the world champion, did get 591 at Hengelo on Sunday. So now he, there's three people over that height on the year. So really, really good competition. But let's finish up our talk on the men's distances real, real quick. I mean, I, I think we've talked about the steeple. We've talked about the 10. We've talked about the five. What we haven't talked about to me is what I think the future of distance running could be in this country. The men's 1500. And what do we have there, folks? We don't need to hear the, the stuff about people running to and from school being the reason why they're good. We had two people of East African descent that have been raised in America dominate, go one, two. Yurid Nagusi of, of, of Notre Dame, who I think was born in America, John, do you know where he was born? I don't know. I know he went to high school in Louisville, like not 100% sure. I'm, I'm fairly certain he's American, but I don't exactly know where he was born. He won by the narrowest of margins. And Justin Kipertich, who was born in Kenya, but came here as a preteen. 
and is now an American citizen. He really had the race. One was way ahead and just let the let him get past himself get past in the rail. But Kipertich has been here for a really long time because you know preteen I guess because I mean he has zero Kenyan accent to the English. And I think Kipertich is going to be a fantastic pro. I mean he he smoked four at the Big Tens. If I was a, a pro group looking for somebody, I would be looking at him. I mean he hasn't run real fast, but he's like that hasn't been the focus. Yeah, he's a he's a championship racer, and the funny thing was he you did the interview with him after the race, and someone mentioned he's like, so you let yourself get passed on the inside, and it hadn't hit him until that point that that's how he lost the race that Nagus had run by him on the rail, and he just had this moment of realization where he's like, oh my god, I got passed on the inside, I could have moved in to block him off. He's just like. You know, that was his final race as a collegian and he didn't get to win the title and he lost by three thousandths and he could have done something to prevent it. I mean, we see this all the time in NCAA races and you've got to learn this. I mean, Devin Dixon knew that did the same thing. He had the lead in the 800 coming around the final turn and he let himself get past the inside by Bryce Hopple. And the first thing he said when he got into the uh, mix zone afterwards, he knew he's like, I got past on the inside. I let him give on get in on the inside and you can't do that that's the that's one of the biggest advantages of leading the race is that you can run the shortest distance and force people to go around you and it happens time and time again we saw it in the four by four relay in 2017 and 2018 there were inside passes so by by kendall ellis and you just really that's something you have to take away if you take away one thing from this meet is if you're in the lead you have to protect uh lane one but it was a great it was a great 1500 between Nagus and Kipritich, and it was a great 800. Well, I mean, I think we kind of knew what was going to happen in the 800 with Bryce Hopple of Kansas, but this guy, what a year he's had. I mean, he got down to 144 in the final, and you know, I'm looking at the 800 scene right now in the United States. You've got Donovan Brazier, you've got Clayton Murphy, and then Isaiah Harris, who made the 2017 Worlds team and was the NCAA champion last year. He hasn't raced this season, so I think he's hot. I have an update. I have an update. After we said that he had not raced, because it's not showing up in the results to company that we pay for results database, got an email from Let's Run Visitor. I don't know if he wants his full name out there, so I'll say Michael. Hey, Let's Run. I saw Let's Harris at the John Hay Distance Fest at Westchester Henderson, Pennsylvania, on May 31st. Anyways, I'm sure you can look up the results of Miles, but he's in the late 800 and ran something like 150 point, losing to another Penn State guy. Hope that this helps. By the way, I'm a huge fan of your website and everything you guys put out. So thank you, Michael. So he is running, but not going well. So Harris won NCAAs last year, went pro early. So it'll be interesting to see if Hopple goes pro early. But you now see sort of why these companies have huge reduction clauses, because if you're running 150, you're not doing much for Nike. So, John, we have, we have, we have Brazier as a lock. Well, I wouldn't say a lot because he's had some problems. But are, are we assuming that Murphy's going to run the eight? I think that's that's a valid question because he's running the mile tomorrow. Th- so Thursday, if you're listening to this, at the Bislett Games in Oslo, he's running the Dream Mile. And then he's running the Bowman Mile at the Pre-Classic at the end of June. And I haven't had a chance to talk to Murphy yet this year, so I don't know exactly which event he's focused on. But if I'm him... You know, he, he ran decently in Rome. He ran 144. He was fifth last week, but Brazier beat him fairly convincingly. And I think we all know that Clayton Murphy can run really, really well in the 800. But if he runs well in these two miles, he might consider moving up to the 1500. So I think that's sort of TBD. 
Yeah. I don't think he should. I think he should stick in the eight. He's Olympic bronze medalist with no David Radisha. Who can he beat in that event? What do you guys want Murphy to do? Run, move up to the 10K? This whole Clayton Murphy 1,500-meter miler talk, I think, is just crazy. Maybe long-term he can be there. He's an Olympic bronze medalist at 800. Well, that's what I just said. I know. I agree with you. But – at 1,500, his best is, what, 336, 351 for the mile, so that's 334. Maybe in a, the slight type of race he can do it, but he's shown nothing to indicate that he is top five in the world in the 1,500. Now, maybe, you know, these couple races or trials, we'll see what happens, and he can develop into that. But just to assume he would be truly, truly world-class medal threat in the 1,500 right now, I think is nuts. Well. That's why I want to see him run these races. After that, I'll form an opinion. I agree with you guys. I think the 800 is his best bet right now, but I also watched the race in Rome. He got beat in that one, and he wasn't particularly close to winning. So I'd, I'd like to see how he runs these miles. I think rounds are going to benefit someone like Murphy. His mile strength helps him in the rounds of these championship races. Brazier's had some, Brazier's had some problems in the past, and we're still 15 weeks out from world. So to run the miles now is base work is smart. But let's look at... Yeah, I mean, you got Brazier. I mean, Hopple's sixth in the world right now. So I, I think he can make the, the world championship team. Murphy's eighth in the world. Then you've got Devin Dixon. That's not a problem. I mean, the next fastest American, 144.76 for Dixon. You're all the way down to nobody's in the 145. Sam Ellison, 146.10. So to me, Hopple's on that world championship team. Yes. So wait, I was looking up where Jared Nagus was born. He's born in the U.S. His parents came here in the 80s. And I missed some of this Isaiah Harris talk. Besides him running 150, has he been injured? Like, what's going on? I, I just sort of assumed, you know, by, by July when it matters, he'd be ready to go. Well, unfortunately, as you know, unless we got and seek comment from people, nobody broadcasts they're injured. So where is Harris? Where is Matthew Centrowitz? Where is Evan Jager? I don't know. They haven't raced all year. Well, now Harris has run. It's some obscure me that nobody was paying attention to. So. Hey, the IWF results site has it on there. They're, they're upping their game, the IWF site, at the John Hay Pennsylvania Distance Festival, as you said. He won it, though, 149.49. Oh, wow. Michael, my... Was your source? Your source said 150, right? He shortchanged him. He said he got beat by a Penn State guy. Maybe, maybe, maybe the IWF's covering for him and switching the results of the two Penn State runners. Wow. So if he won the race, I'll then put him on the team. All right, let's talk about the women's race. I mean, we have not talked at all about the women's distances. John, where do we begin? I think women's 1500. Sinclair Johnson arrives. I mean, I when I got in Texas uh, on Wednesday, on Tuesday, Dave Smith, the Oklahoma State coach, texted me, and he's like, I got a hot tip for you. And I was like, oh, all right, I love hot tips. And he was like, Sinclair Johnson, women's 1500. And I'm like, that to me, that wasn't a hot tip. I was like, Dave, I know she's really, really good. Like, he told me indoors. He he did give me a hot tip indoors. He was like, look, this woman can run with Jessica Hall. And I'm like, I don't know. I kind of want to see it. Like, And they were in the DMR together. And I think Johnson actually did split faster, but Hall and Oregon won the DMR. But then I looked at the splits she ran at regionals in the 1500, and she ran PR 409. She closed in 62. Looked absolutely fantastic doing it. And I was like, this girl can win NCAAs. Like, I still picked. So I, I kind of, it was kind of a dirty trick, actually. This might explain why I won the prediction contest. I picked Hull in the, in the official Let's Run preview I wrote, but I kept thinking and thinking. I'm like, why am I picking Hull? 
Is it because she's like this unstoppable winning machine? Is it? Uh, the more I thought about it, it was, I was picking her because she won last year, and just because she hadn't lost since she she hadn't lost, but she hadn't raced Sinclair Johnson in a race like this, and so I was like, you know what, Sinclair Johnson's really good, and I picked her in the prediction contest. I went against my public pick. I, I, you know, I probably should have changed the prediction, the preview. I should have had the balls to pick her, but. I didn't, but anyway, Sinclair Johnson, I mean, it was crazy. Jessica Hull ran an amazing race. She PR'd by two seconds. She ran 4.06. She did everything she could to win, and Sinclair Johnson still outkicked her in the end and ran 4.05, number two time ever by a collegiate. I mean, it was a fantastic race, and Sinclair Johnson, you got to say, has got to be up there in, you know, in the conversation to make the U.S. Worlds team at this point. Should we put John on probation? John, please don't use the term had the balls to refer to toughness, guts. I don't understand why we're associating that with that. I, I think that's sexist. That's my tip for the day. Five-minute timeout for John. Thank you. Yeah, that, that was a great race. I mean, whole, whole the thing that was interesting to me was when it's an international athlete, they're always focused on worlds, much more so than the Americans. So Hole loses. She immediately sees the time pop up on the clock, and she runs up to Claire Johnson's like, hey, dude, we just both hit the world standard, 4065. So... It was a good consolation prize for Hull, but um, yeah, I I guess Dave doesn't believe in, in the in the jinx or, or or you know if you talk someone out they're going to do well because you know he's coached a number of NCAA women's champions and he told John I've never had anyone this prepared and, and she backed that up so really good running there. I asked Sinclair after the race. I said, well, what did Dave tell you? She's like, honestly, I, it makes me nervous when he when he talks to me and gives me a big pet talk. She's like, I know he believes in me. I don't need to hear it from him before the race. I just kind of avoid him. So I guess he had to tell us instead. Yep. But so she was a a, a great winner. Ali Ostrander made made history in the women's steeplechase. The first three-time winner, first three-in-a-row winner of of the women's steeplechase, joining Jenny Berenger, right, as a three-time winner of the event. And somehow in the middle of the Austin heat, she ran a PR. It was incredible. I don't know how you PR. I mean, it was 96 degrees. It felt like my phone said 96 Feels this is the, okay. This is at the start of the fifteen hundred, which is like ten minutes before the steeple. It said ninety six. Feels like one hundred one, and she went out and PR'd. So she's never lost a steeplechase in her life, you know. And John's like, look, to be considered the greatest collegiate steeplechaser, she needs to run a lot faster. And I agree, but the question is, how much faster can she run? Because she's never lost. So, and, and to me, whenever I watch her run, I just like, if only they had a ten thousand meter steeplechase, how good would she be at it? Yeah, no, that's why she's great at the. Uh you know, the sort of mountain runs in, in uh, Alaska where she's from. But she, and she also had the quote of the championships on the ESPN broadcast where they sat her down and they all say, you know, how tired are you right now? You just ran a PR in the heat. And she says, I feel so hot right now and not in the attractive way. I feel like I'm really low on the scale in that department. And you could tell she was she was just exhausted. But so, yeah, to run a personal best in those conditions, outstanding uh, work by her. And, you know, she I don't know exactly. Did you ask her if she's going to be continuing a season at, at USA's, Robert? Because I think she's sort of she has a chance to get a spot on the U.S. World's team. Because remember, U.S. has four spots in the steeple this year with Emma Coburn having the bye. I think she said she was going to go. I'd have to go back and you go to YouTube and find her videos. The first distance event of the women's championship was the 10,000. And what a wild, wild finish. So we're sitting up in the press box. Most of the races we were watching down you know, at track level because we're trying to interview people and watch at the same time. But the 10,000 being the first one, John and I can actually sit up and sort of debate what's happening up in the press box. And we had 
another press guy next to us, and we were sort of debating what happens. And when Wayne Colati of New Mexico takes the lead with what? How many laps to go? Five laps to go, John? Yeah, right. Something like that. You know, her lead's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the guy next to us is like, this is over. And John's like, I don't know. You know, that lead's got, you got to keep going bigger and bigger because a five or six second lead looks huge, but you can make up, you know, five seconds on the last lap if you're going in the wrong direction. So the lap was getting bigger and bigger and bigger until they pulled out to a lap. And it, they, instead of like five and a half seconds, it goes down to like 4.94 seconds. So, which is a lot, but we, John had not given up on her. I mean, had not given hand of the hand of the race to Claudia, but to my credit, when we were debating this first out with like, you know, maybe three laps to go, I looked up, I was typing like something. I look up and they were debating, you know, who, John and this other journalist were debating like whether it was over or not. I look up, all I do is right in front of me. I see, I'm like, that Oregon girl doesn't look tired at all. So it ended up being quite a lost lap, John. Like, how do you say her name? Camela Kadama Baez. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. She's from Spain. But yeah, what a close she had. She was down almost five seconds at the bell. And she pulled, you know, she gets level with, with 100 to go. And normally you think this is over. One runner is running way faster than the other. Uh, but Wayne Kaladi, she knew she was coming. She basically said, look, the reason I, I don't have a great kick, this is why I took off early in the race. I knew someone was going to come for me because someone had come for her in indoor track um, when Alicia Monson beat her in the 5K. And someone had come for her in cross country when Danny Jones beat her. And in this race, she knew someone was going to come for her. She'd never won an NCAA title. And it was Cardona Baez, but this time she was ready. And she said, I felt her shadow and I knew I had to just basically give it everything I had. She fought her off. Really an epic way to win your first NCAA title. And, uh, you know, I guess I like to think I was vindicated because the race certainly wasn't over, but Kaladi did hold on to win the race. But I want to say on the last lap, when she, when Baez was catching her, everyone's like, oh, she's got it. I'm like, oh, I don't know. We don't know. If maybe maybe, maybe Kaladi has another response, and she did. And then in the women's 5,000, what happened there was what John and I both expected to happen. But for some reason, the... ESPN announcers didn't understand that. Can I jump in? I'm the 10,000 meter expert. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I mean, before we discuss anything 10,000, you guys should. And I thought John wasn't a five minute suspension. Real quick on the 10K. The finish was nuts. Like w- when she rolled up on her, I was like, oh, this is over. And then Kaladi totally responded. It was amazing. I was, I'm wondering if like Carmela should have just somehow waited until the very last second, but then the crowd would have started yelling. But sort of like secretly past her. Because once she heard the crowd, I think it was amazing she could respond like that. But Kaladi wins it, but like Carmela's run, I mean, she's done not really nothing to indicate she should win this race this year. Fourth at Pac 10s in the 5K and 10K. What, 31st at NCAA Cross? And to nearly win the NCAA 10,000 meter title? Very impressive run. It's funny because uh, she didn't really totally believe in herself she you know she would she basically told us she would see her teammates like jessica hall who won who was second in the 1500 and susan ajore who was in the 800 final and she said i would watch them in practice and you know they they were running so fast and i'd just be out here grinding in the 10k and 
you know, she was like, I, I'm not really at their level, but then they would all be telling her, no, no, you're doing really well. Camilla. Like, we can't wait to see what you run in the 10,000 and her coach, Helen Lehman winters, who's done a great job taking over the Oregon distance project. This sorry, Oregon distance project, the Oregon women's cross country and track teams this year. She told her, you know, I believe in you. I think if you can close in 68 at NCAAs, you can win the national title. And she did close in 68 and she came very close. She didn't quite win. So Carmelo was sort of joking in the uh, mix zone. Like, I, this is the first time Helen was ever wrong about something because I closed in 68 and I didn't win. But she had a lot of belief and her coaches had a lot of belief in her. Her teammates had a lot of belief in her. And she also prepped for this thing. They prepped for the heat. I mean, Oregon, They. she said she would go on weekends and run in this box and they would just there would be like some grad students or some assistants in the athletic department or some, something like that who would try to study how they reacted to the heat and they would just crank up the heat and the humidity and sort of test her and see how she responded and whether she needed more fluids or that sort of thing. So they knew it was going to be pretty hot in this race in Austin. And I don't know if, I don't know if we can say that's the sole reason. I mean, obviously she's a good runner, but she was prepared as prepared as you're going to be for a race in those conditions. After the race, when I was running down to the mix zone to do the interviews, I bumped into Vin Lanana, the former Oregon coach and now this Oregon athletic director, assistant athletic director. And I was like, wow, that was a crazy race, huh? And he's like, yeah, I mean, Helen uh, Helen is is a fabulous coach. She's doing such a good job. And that's true. I mean, that's the pals, Andy and Marisa, both leave for Washington. Everyone's like, what's going to happen to Oregon distance? And I'm like, nothing's going to happen to their distance team. I, 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 I. Look at her success at San Francisco. And then they got, um, what's his name? Thomas from Virginia Tech, who another coach said, like, well, he's the best mid-distance coach in the country. So they've both done really well. And, and there's no doubt, really. I would say the Oregon women who stayed have done better than the Oregon women who went to Washington with Pal and transferred out because, um, you know, they've struggled, John. Uh, yeah, Lily Burden and Katie Rainsberger, who were running really well for Oregon, just have had a rough go of it at Washington this year. And I, I don't know if injuries are involved there or not. I don't really know. But yeah, Jess Hall and and Carmela ba- Cardama Baez and Susan Ajore, they've all run really well under Helen Lehman Winters. So, Weldon, did you watch that race live? Yeah, I watched it live. Okay, what did you think of the commentating? I got home, I wanted to watch it on Twitter and see the exciting finish. You know, how it was broadcast, because I do some broadcasting now, and I'm like, the the race in person was way more exciting than the broadcast. I mean, I was watching the last couple wa- laps. I really wasn't thinking too much of the broadcast. As people pointed out on the website, Dwight Stone's a good color guy. He's not a play-by-play guy. He botched a lot of race calls this week. So, I don't know, the 4 by one the next day um, and the men's race, you know, he said the wrong team dropped the baton. And sure, stuff like that happens. I mean, some of my favorite play-by-play guys for Diamond Leagues have screwed stuff up. But I felt like with Dwight, there was just a c- couple more screw-ups th- than you should have. So, But it's easy to just criticize. Yeah. My pet peeve about the announcing, and I, I think Dwight's great, but I think they need a professional play-by-play guy. And I've got the guy, Bill Spaulding, my partner. He's doing some NBC stuff now. ESPN, you need to hire him for track. Bill, let me do some distance with you. I would love to do that. They need to have a distance analyst. You can't – I've said this over and over again on the website this week. You can't do a professional track and field or a college track and field broadcast. It's really hard to do it without a distance analyst because there's 30 minutes to show that you're not an expert in the event. 
I can fake it in the sprints because there's every sprint. It takes less. Most of them take 10 seconds, 10 to 11 seconds. Some of them take less than 60 seconds. So there's not a lot of time for me to talk about other than the place that someone's finishing and how that impacts the team title. And the distances, you have a lot of time to talk. Anyways, moving on to the women's 5,000 when this came out, there was a couple of laps to go. John was watching this on TV because he had flown home for this wedding. So he was still covering it remotely. And John, I obviously wasn't watching it on TV. All I was seeing was the highlights, but you said it looked like, you know, three, four laps to go. Well, first of all, they showed a graphic in the middle of the race instead of showing a split screen. But you said three to four laps to go. They were talking about who had a good shot, and they were talking about Taylor Warner who ended up second, but there was zero talk of the reigning NCAA cross-country champion, Danny Jones, who also has the fastest 1,500-meter field PR of anyone at NCAAs this year at 407. I mean, it was like a given to us that she would win this race. We both you and I picked her in the prediction contest, and she did win the race. So that was sort of not good, right? Yeah, I mean, it's the same point you made. They need a distance analyst in this race because Dwight Stones and Jill Montgomery, I actually thought for overall for the broadcast, I thought they did fine listening to the final day. I, you know, it was a pretty solid job. But that race in particular, they were highlighting Taylor Werner because Taylor is a very good runner. And she was important to the t- team title, but she also had won the SEC 5000 title. And these guys do the SEC broadcast as well. So they knew, okay, she's a good distance runner. Let's watch out for her. They didn't do the research knowing Danny Jones has the most fearsome kick in the NCAA. If she's close with a lap or two to go, she's going to win. How does the stats person not tell them that? How do they not do that on their own research? I mean, anyways, but I, they have what I think in general are good people to do the field events and sprints. Jill Montgomery's a former heptathlete. Dan O'Brien's on the broadcast, right? Wasn't he on it or was he not on it? Yeah, he, he came on it from time to time. He's a decathlete, so they can cover all those events, but they just need a, a play-by-play and a disc. But anyways, the women's 5,000, Danny Jones wins it, and, and there's something that hasn't been reported that, that someone emailed me about. Her father died at the end of May, so well, I think less than two weeks ago, and, and she was still able to win the NCAA title, so that, that was very, very impressive. Um, and I was really impressed. I was really impressed by a lot of people in the mix zone. Um, she actually won the 5,000 the next to last event. So I had to track her down. I'm like, okay, I've got to find Danny Jones. They actually let the fans out on the track for the award ceremony, which was nice, but you're trying to find Danny in front of these thousands of people. I, I track her down and she was like, wanted, like she stuck her hand out, wanted to shake my hand, introduced herself. She was very nice. Um, but there was like uh, so many impressive young women in, in this meet and, and guys too. But like Jasmine Frey, I, I thought, John, she was fantastic. Like she talked about her failures in the past and what she's changed. She's like, I used to go out in 58. It just wasn't working. So now she goes out and she runs really even like 60 point, 60 point with a big last close. I mean, last 200 was under 30 seconds. She's the NCAA indoor record holder. She's never had any success in the NCAAs. And I think her best finish was fourth. Maybe that year she got, she had the NCAA record. And then she wins it as a senior in a thrilling race with Pensania Aikens. So uh, very impressed by her and just her attitude and and everything. Um, she said she's gonna wants to run post collegiately, but she wants to stay at AM, which may limit her options a little bit in terms of money. But um, she's gonna be in grad school and stuff like that. Well, I think athletes say that when they don't exactly know where they're gonna go. They're like, "Oh, you're gonna stay with your college coach?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, sure. That, that's my tentative plan." But once you start getting offers and from shoe companies and other groups start reaching out, then you, you sort of start thinking otherwise. Now, maybe she would stay with AM though, because I think a lot of these, if she joins a distance group, she's, I don't think she's really a distance oriented 800 runner. She's more of a four by more of a 400, 800 runner. We saw that she ran a great leg on AM's four by four. Um, 
So it'll be interesting to see where she goes, but clearly, yeah, great potential. I mean, she negative split her win in the NCAA final. She went 60.89, then 60.43 for her two laps. And like you said, I think any shoe company would be lucky to have her because she was really composed and well-spoken and impressive in the mix zone. And yeah, I, I always just like when athletes who show potential early in their career figure it out and get it done and, you know, end their careers as a champion. And Jasmine had been to, this is her fourth trip to NCAA Outdoors and she got dead lost in the final last year and she comes and wins it as a senior in her final race. So very cool story. I think she was dead lost indoors too, right? She was, yeah, dead lost indoors this year. So I mean, she figured things about, out. She raced yeah. smart. It was it was an impressive weekend for her. So guys, what else do we want to talk about? I mean, we were already way over an hour and we haven't even talked about much about the amazing sprint action. I mean, Divine Oduduru of Texas Tech runs the second best 100, 200 double in a single day. I mean, absurd times i really actually love talking to him he leads texas tech to their first ever men's team title in any sport let alone track and field so those guys were, were it was exciting to, to have a new winner there we still haven't talked about rome well i'm kind of curious what your parents thought of the meet we always say we want to get these average joes to tell us what they think of track and you know they went on friday night and i asked them when was the last time they went to a track meet they couldn't even remember so Friday night was the men's finals. It was the best day of the meet. It was incredible competition. I'd love to know how Mr. and Mrs. Johnson thought of the NCAA track and field championships. Well, it's interesting that you say that, John, because they wanted to go on Thursday night. I'm like, no, 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 you don't want to go. It's boring. Then they were going, they tell me they're going on Friday. I'm all worried. I'm like, oh God, they're going to be bored of their mind. My dad said he hadn't been to meet since like we were in high school. That may be, well, he went to the Olympic trials to watch Wells and Ryan, but I don't know if he'd stay for the whole thing. But my mom they're, they're, they're over 70, so maybe they forgot this. I just realized, Weldon, you took mom to Monaco a few years ago, which would be a great meet to go to. Five years ago, she went to Monaco. Maybe six years ago. She loved Brigitte Barrett high jumping and singing the national anthem. Or maybe not national anthem. Maybe she sang like a Aretha Franklin song or some song after the meet. It was pretty cool. But John, it's curious you said that. We did not set this up because in the past we've had – you know, wife, spouse audio, which we encourage people to do, sort of talk to your spouse about running, r- secretly record them, then get their permission to use the audio. And we have done that with my mom. This is a bit weird because I did it on my own and Robert was with her on the other end of the phone and he did it on his own. There was no talk about this. I hang up the phone call and I kid you not, I already have an email with him with the MP3 file sent to me. It was pretty nuts. That's like a total twin thing. And, well, we encourage you all to get permission to use this. I don't know, with our parents, like, as I said, people want to rebel. This is why we're going to be Thomas Ratcliffe's agent. I'm just playing this audio without asking for permission. we got a couple clips. I'll try to maybe break it up into parts, but here we go. My mom talking about the track meet, NCAA track meet. Wait, can you start over, Mom? I said we just had the best time at the track meet last night. A lot of people think they're boring, and if there's anything but boring, there are four events going on at the same time, and the people are all nice, and they're not fat because they're all <laughs> crap families. <laughs> it's, a di- it's a different crowd completely. Oh, yeah. Runners are a different look. Yeah, and the, but there were babies there. I think it was the, a coach behind us from Alabama's wife, I think. So my mom likes the people there, the crowd. We got more. Any thoughts on that? Let me fast forward here. 
Well, she said there's lots going on, and the people aren't fat. So far, so far, raving endorsement. All right, here we go. A little more. What was my favorite? Um, just the whole idea of, of watching the discus and the jumping and the running at the same time. Uh, the one thing I would not want to do is hurdles. I would not want to do that. <laughs> Especially if I landed in water some of the time. Yeah. So. <laughs> we saw some of the guys spill. So there you go. My mom loves the discus. I'll be honest. I know there was a discus going on at NCAAs, but you know, if you had told me the discus had been canceled, I, I don't know if I could have refuted that point. I don't think I saw a single attempt of the discus. So I'm glad she enjoyed it. Was there a Harvard discus thrower? She said something about a Harvard discus thrower. Yeah, he placed like third. He's a freshman. He's pretty good. Looked it up. She was big into that. Maybe she's kind of shocked because she also said, yeah, there aren't many Ivy League runners. I guess she was trying to find someone from Yale and pretty sure we didn't have someone at the meet. Um, my mom, a UT, UT alum could support the hometown and I'm trying to think Sam Walsh of Harvard was sixth as a freshman. My dad told her that everything was, my dad was very impressed. He said everything was truly world-class. Yeah. Dad, dad, the next day is like, I don't think in my entire life I've ever seen like the fastest people in the world run. So it's encouraging that, well, I was going to say we're attracting new fans, but it's all about the demographics, right? You want fans that are younger, that have lots of... My parents do have lots of disposable income, though. So the marketers could try to break them out of their set ways and get them to buy new stuff. Track and field fan, track and field cannot afford to discriminate, Robert. I know that the ideal is you get young people, but take anyone you can get. If you can get a few people who just have nothing else to do and want to go to trap meets, take them. My dad was... We thought about passing our, our press passes back give my mom and the dad in for free but my dad paid for his ticket and i think he went up there i looked i thought the tickets were 40 dollars each which seemed kind of high to me but maybe that was for the whole thing or john do you know how much it was it looked pretty i should have asked him how much it was but no i did ask him he, he was all proud he got in for ten dollars each on this on the senior discount they weren't the only people that, i mean you got to buy tickets like who was who was he lining up behind in order to buy tickets to ncaa's devin allen the 2016 U.S. Olympic Trials champion, Olympic hurdles finalist. He had to buy a ticket to go to NCAAs as well. This is a great story. Dad went and got in line to buy tickets behind Devin Allen and the person coming out of the, who already had just purchased a ticket was Olympian Tim Bro. So both of them had just purchased tickets. I should ask Tim how much it was. I'm sure Saucony's paying for it, but they did $40 each. Yeah, man. Also, they were very impressed with with the parking pass that you guys had so that they weren't sure they could go back on their own without the parking pass. And let's go one more piece of audio here. Something that made my mom nervous at the meet. Um, the passing of the baton, that makes me a little nervous. But, <laughs> 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 but anyway, we loved all of it. I, I, laughed, I laughed Jazz your dad when it was his favorite event. I just liked the spectacle of it. It was quite amazing. And every, you know, every, everything is individual. It's kind of like golf. So there you go. All the runners, you think golf is boring. My mom compared the sports as being the same. But hey, if, if track and field can get the popularity of golf, we'd be doing pretty good. I think the key is going through expectations, right? And then be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, well, sounds like we got two more people. Well, for the record, they, they did not go back on Saturday. So I forgot why. They had a good, they had a good excuse, I think. Robert, that was going to be the end of the audio, but I think I'm going to call you out because 
there's some audio on why they didn't go back on the final day. Are you going today? There's women's tonight. Uh, I, I'd like to go back. Robert said we'd be bored, but I don't think we would. I'm really enjoying it. And of course, he has a great parking pass. We you know, walked up the block. <laughs> So there you have it, Robert. You ruined. We could have had two more track fans, twenty more dollars for the NCAA, but you told them it would be boring. Uh, on the same podcast that I called Jonathan out for being a sexist, I am exposed as a sexist. I don't remember telling her that. I was just worried she'd be bored in general. So I thought I don't remember saying don't go to the second day. It was a lot hotter. I was worried about the heat for them, and they're mid seventies. So I thought we should just end on a high note, if that's the case. But also, mom was on a high because it's not on the audio. She sat next to a Let's Run fan, and she has his name. She, I could give a shout-out. I think he may have emailed us. But he compared us. Well, did you hear this? I heard it. It was actually on the audio. I have this clip. I, I meant to ask you what – I had no idea who she was talking about, what she was talking about, so I didn't play it. But, like, yeah, what, what was this? Well, first of all, it was on the same day that we won the prestigious from the Track and Field Writers Association of the World. We got to the meet that day, and they're like, "Jonathan, is is, your, is Robert here? Is Robert here?" I'm like, "What do you mean?" They're like, "Jack Pfeiffer, who who's the head of the Track and Field Writers Association, yes, such a thing exists." Is like he needs to speak to Robert. And I go over, and he's like, "Well, you guys won the prestigious award today," and they hand me two plaques presented to Robert and Weldon Johnson for excellence in internet journalism. Let's run.com. We're winners of the award. Now, John, John's rolling his eyes. He looks a little upset. There was no mention of Jonathan Galt. I don't mind. You guys run the website. I I'm part of the website. I feel like this is a team victory. Yes. It's huge. A great honor. And, but the, the award, the award for best individual journalist did not go to John. It went to another Princeton alum. Um, Dave Hunter. Dave Hunter. Yeah. So when we won the award, Weldon and I did joke that like the website's been around for 18 years how have we not won this award before? Have we won it before? I don't think we have. But who have they been giving it to out besides us? Not that we're that great, but like what other running websites are there? I can only think of three or four. So it seems like every three or four years you'd have to win this award. True or false? Or are they not handed out every year? Like, I think it's handed out every year. We have won the Roadrunners Club of America Journalism Award. We're actually notified of that. We usually go to the banquet, so... You guys didn't little. I guess Austin, the food was too good. You guys missed the banquet this year. I mean, the tr- the Track and Field Writers Association breakfast, essentially. Um, but the Roadrunners Club thing that was probably two thousand mid two thousands. And I went to like a banquet and I flew out to something in New Orleans. I don't know if I gave a speech or what what the deal was, but it's been a long slog. We we battled out for the next fifteen years and beat the three other websites that cover running. So congratulations, but no, the awards name for Adam, Adam Jacobs. Um, and he was like, he was younger than us and he had a website. The final sprint.com. Yeah. So Adam had a website called the fi- final sprint.com and unfortunately, you know, lost his life to suicide. And I think just with, even the whole Gabe Grunewald thing. If you're struggling with the depression, people, there's help out there. You can get help. Life is so precious. Um, just try to get help. People always tell us to give away, give out the suicide prevention number, 1-800-273-8255, or just Google suicide prevention. Life is too precious to, I don't know, to have it in for any reason. And so I don't know if anyone's out there struggling. 
just realize there's help out there. Real quick, talking about the awards. So I don't think mom actually knew we won the award yet. I, I, I wanted to give her the actual plaque and present it to her when, when I got home that night. But I think she was in a really good mood, mainly because she sat next to a Let's Runner. And, she, and somehow she, my mom likes to talk. So she introduced herself, started talking to some guy. And this guy's a big fan of the website. He was at the meet with binoculars and stuff. And she's like, oh, your sons, you know, they're like the Clarence Darrow of the track and field world. And my mom and dad were really honored by that. I didn't even know who Clarence Darrow was. But um, wait, actually not Clarence Darrow. <laughs> That's the wrong person. Well, do you know who it was? Clarence Darrow is a famous, he was the lawyer in the Scopes Monkey trial. So <laughs> it wasn't Clarence Darrow. Clarence Darrow has been dead since 1938. So I'll have to listen to the audio. One second. Do you guys mind if I just call you the Clarence Darrow of writing journalism from now on? I think that would just be funnier. A man sitting in front of us, he said, Robert Weldon, the next Eric Severoid. Eric Severoid? Robert? It's Eric Severoid. I've never heard of that person. I thought she said it wrong. Who is that? Yeah. CBS News journalist from 1939-1977. He was a group of elite war correspondents. He was... Wow, or the equivalent of a 1939 war correspondent. Amy and Peabody Award winner. Well, congratulations, I guess, guys. It certainly sounded like it was a compliment, so uh, congrats. Shall we move on from NCAAs? A great meet, but there is other action afoot. Uh, I don't think we really need to talk too much about Rome. By the time you're listening to this, Oslo may have even already happened. So I would say... I mean, Donovan Brazier won in Rome. That was really impressive. He was the first Diamond League 800 win for him. And he actually ran a smart tactical race as well. You know, tried to, he was trying to take the lead on the back straight, but then he realized he was going to waste too much energy doing it. He stayed patient. He was signed, sort of boxed down the home straight, didn't panic, came through for the win. That was really impressive. We had a great 200 between Noah Lyles and Michael Norman, with Michael Norman getting the win this time. He ran 1970, a personal best in a world lead to Lyles 1972. So that was really good stuff. And that was Norman's first ever win over Lyles. And then we had a new star, a new Bekele in the men's 5,000, Telehoon Bekele. Telehoon Haile Bekele. So he's also a new Haile and a new Bekele. Yeah. I mean, how can you not be fast with that name, right? So he wins it, 12.52, world leader. And then three days later, he comes back in Hengelo and runs 12.57. So he's only, he's only the third person in history, according to John Mulkeen, to run two sub-13s in four days. And he looks like he could be a medal threat at Worlds, but he has to make the Ethiopian team, which is very competitive. And now, when he finished, did we ever figure out what that celebration was? Was he making a T-sign? I think it's smart to go with Telehun because he can't go by Haile or Bekele. Those names are taken. Yeah, I think the celebration, I saw, there was some video, I think, kind of explaining it, but I think the celebration was a, a T for his name. So, yeah, um, do you guys have any reactions to Rome, or should we just move ahead to Oslo? We need to talk about Oslo. What do we have to look forward to? Okay. Well, Although this, got- this, this podcast, by the time it gets out, it's going to be Wednesday afternoon, evening. It's not going to be a lot of time to listen to it before Oslo. That's the genius of why we're putting this at the end. It's okay to talk about Oslo quickly because, you know, if someone's listening this far and they want to listen to Oslo, great. If not, if it's after Thursday at about 4 p.m. Eastern time, we advise you to not continue listening. The meet is over. 
Well, then they can they can compare what we predicted to what we actually can tell happened. you what happened. Let's just tell them what's going to happen because we usually know who's going to win these things, right? Yeah. All right. Here's the have your own insight. Give us a call, by the way, 844 538 7786 844. Let's run. Yeah, wait, we actually haven't done a plug today, and maybe that's good. I don't know. We're not, with the Gabe Grunwald, I just wasn't thinking of our sponsors. But hey, Eric, our web guy, has been working very hard. The let's run.com better shoe site. We've, we've simplified it. It's pretty badass, kick-ass. We need shoe reviews again. We're about to kind of push this out there. We're going to keep want to keep it secret. It's up on the homepage. Go to letsrun.com slash shoes. Tell us what you think. Seriously, email us. Do a screen recording. If you give it, if you send a screen recording, there's a very good chance you can win a free pair of shoes. He, when he says screen recording, he wants you to try out the site and then record what you're seeing and then send us the audio. You can win free shoes. If you want Let's Run to be free, we really need the shoe review site to work well. So... Please start using it. Yeah, just there's a thing called Loom. It records your screen. It's just a browser extension. It takes like seriously 10 seconds. So we'd appreciate that. And give us a review. The site's awesome. Like you can find real quickly the best rated shoes in your size that are available. Buy them. You can find shoes under $100. You can find shoes for people training for the marathon. We've kind of sort of simplified it and made it much more user-friendly. But we want feedback before we push it out to everybody. So thank you. All right. So here are your headlines from Oslo. Uh, it, this doesn't actually come to fruition. Just ignore it. But I'm making the headlines a day before the race. Sydney McLaughlin amazes in her Diamond League 400 meter hurdles debut. Takes down Dalila Muhammad, the world leader. She runs a world leader of herself uh, by herself, Sydney McLaughlin. So she's going to win that race. Uh, we've got Drew Hunter in the men's 3K. He, he struggles a little bit because he's facing the top Ethiopian. Solomon Borrega is going to win that race from Ethiopia. Emma Coburn, her first steeple of the year, runs very well. You know, uh, She's going to run low nine minutes, but not good enough to beat Beatrice Chipkowicz, the world record holder, who clocks sub eight, sub nine minutes to take the win there. And Jakob Ingebrigtsen closes out the meet by becoming the first Norwegian ever to win the Dream Mile at the Bislett Games. That was your Oslo... 2019 uh, recap. Okay, John, I have a few questions here. How fast does Drew Hunter run over under 740? Mm, he just ran 339 for 1500. I'm going to say over over 740. Okay, and then Coburn, does she come within five seconds of Chip Coach? Yes, I think she puts a scare into her, but ultimately gets beaten. But runs over nine, no American record, you're saying? Correct. And then the Dream Mile. No Norwegian has ever won the Dream Mile. That would be a big story. But, folks, we need to point out there's like fake There's fake news all over the place. Well, not really fake news, but if he does win the Dream Mile, we're going to put an asterisk next to it like we do have with Clayton Young's 10,000. Manningo and Cherry aren't running this race, so it's totally watered down, right? I mean, we got Clayton Murphy in there. Who who are the big contenders? So it's not totally watered down. Like, Ayanli Suleiman's in there. He beat Ingebrigtsen in the last race last week. And Bethwell Bergen and Vincent Kibet have both run pretty well in Diamond Leagues this year. But, yeah, yeah, you're missing the top. Okay, so look at our 2018 world rankings. We had Ingebrigtsen fourth in the 1500. The two guys ahead of him were Manningoy and Chariot and Samuel Tafaro, who's the world indoor champion and the world indoor record holder at 1500. None of those three guys are racing this race. And I, when I saw this, I was like, hmm, this looks a little fishy. But the thing is, they don't, if this was like some non-Diamond League event, 
where the meat control director really has control over the fields, you might be suspicious. But in the diamond race events, you can't just kick out the guys who have already won diamond leagues. Like if they want to run, you got to let them run. So I texted Manningoy's, uh, sorry, Chariot's agent, Malcolm Anderson. He's like, yeah, you know, we can't run every single race on the calendar. Worlds is a long way away. We want to keep him fresh. So it makes sense to me, but Manningoy and Chariot aren't running it. And yeah, Ingebrigtsen, I think he's he's the favorite to win, in my opinion. I think he will win, but you, it doesn't mean as much with uh, without those two guys on the field. Not 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 quite. I, I called it fake news. That probably wasn't the right term, but they're just taking the weekend off, so it's a little easier to win. I'm sure that meet organizers weren't upset about that them taking the week off. It's a good week for them to take the week off. One thing that was interesting talking about sort of misleading journalism. And I didn't want to mention at the beginning of the show because you know how emotional everybody was about Gabe Grunewald. But this is pointed out to me. If you go, if you Google Gabe Grunewald, like the top stories, this is where Google needs to be improved. Like the top story right now is marathon runner, Gabe Grunewald dies at 32. Like that's a people article. And it's great that her story has gone mainstream and people's writing articles, but they're obviously not an expert. I mean, I don't think she ever ran a marathon. So kind of interesting how that all works. No, I mean, some mainstream publications just think distance runner equals marathoner. And that's, we know that's not the case. Yeah. And Weldon yesterday had to contact, he was really upset. And I kind of joke every podcast, how I put my number out. I want to put the phone number out at the beginning, but it is easy to contact us. Yesterday they had reported, I think it was Yahoo had reported that she had died when she had not died. They had misread her brother's Instagram article or his post and assumed that she had died. He was basically writing a letter because he knew she was going to die. You know, Weldon was trying to contact the author and it's like impossible. I think, how did you do it? Well, you eventually got them to change the article, correct? There's no way to contact somebody on Yahoo. I mean, it's just sort of sad that these algorithms are set up that way and they repurpose someone's article. Essentially they've, you know, publishing agreements with other entities, which is good. um, So they can get more reach, but there needs to be a way to contact somebody at Yahoo so the blame really goes to Women's Health magazine. They published this story, jumped the, wanted to jump the gun, and it's common, right? Like, I mean, we had a story ready, or, you know, it wasn't really finalized, but in case she died, you know, once Justin said, this is it, people are going to get those stories ready. Tim Layden has his story ready, and that's fine. But you're hoping that there's a miracle or that she can just have another Shake Shack with her husband and just keep going and... There's just no need to be the first on this. It's, it's it's sad. So I eventually on found the author's name, um, direct messaged her. There's an email in her Twitter bio, emailed them and said, hey, you need to fix this. And she said, her, the author wrote me back and said, her her brother you know, said she's dead. And I was like, no, you're misreading the, the Instagram. I can see how people read that because it – it, it was sort of hinted at that she's dying, but she was definitely not dead. And then Justin Grunewald then had to, while his wife is dying, take the trouble to tweet out that she was still with us. So meanwhile, Women's Health had changed their article on their website, and but it had, it, the changes you know didn't get pushed out to Yahoo, so the wrong article was still up on Yahoo. And Women's Health also never admitted in their article that they had it wrong on their website. It's just shameful. And I've re- I wrote them, never received a response. They didn't acknowledge that they changed the article and then initially. Right. And so, I I don't know. It's just sort of unfortunate. People make mistakes. We're all human. But just 
I don't know if we make mistakes, you're going to jump the gun. Please acknowledge what you, what you did or just have a better system in place or Yahoo, you got billions of dollars. How about a contact us with a problem in some article? Like if you're going to pretend to be a news, you need a way to be contacted. And you know, we, people at let's run, we're human beings. We make mistakes. People say we don't moderate, delete threads quick enough, that sort of stuff, but there's a way to contact us. And there needs to be a way for these big companies to be contacted. And this shows you how sort of fake news can work too, because Google also, I mean, they're, I know it's a computer, but they're still pushing it out. False stories. Right. And it shows also that the, the this is why sort of independent publishing is dying. You want to be in a big network, right? Like even Women's Health, which is, I think it's owned by the same company as Runner's World. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry about that. But, it, you know, it's part of a big publishing conglomerate. Even though they, despite they have that, they still want to be on Yahoo because clearly they make more money when Yahoo distributes its articles to everybody. But just because you're bigger doesn't mean you're better. And so somehow these algorithms would be better if they could reward sort of the best journalism that's written. And that's why we want people to read this Tim Waden piece. It's tremendous. Well, we've had a long podcast, emotional beginning, a lot to recount. But I think we need to call it a day, guys. I mean, we've... John's told you what's going to happen tomorrow. He's predicted the future. So everyone enjoy life. We're not here for that long. Fight the fight. Live a good life. Make a difference. Go for a run. Smile. Say hello to people. Just be a happy presence in the world like Gabe was. Be brave like Gabe.